0: So, we have a visiting preacher with us this morning, and it's my privilege to introduce to you Nate Smith, who's the former associate pastor at River Oaks Church, and he will open the word to us and be preaching to us this morning. Nate? Well, good morning. morning. Y'all are a lively congregation. I love it. I love it. Clapping, moving, standing, sitting, everything. It's great. God gave us bodies. It's good to use them, isn't it? All right. You see in your bulletin the word of the Lord this morning from John chapter 4. We're going to read the first 29 verses, and I invite you to follow along with me. I'll let you sit for that, but I encourage you to uh, pay attention because this is God's holy word. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. who speak to you, am he? Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it delves down to the depths of our personhood, to our heart, to our motives, and it lays it all bare before you. Uh, This passage is one of those places that does that well, and so we pray that uh, we would cooperate with you, Holy Spirit, as you enliven our minds and our hearts and our hearing, our whole bodies, that we might um, receive the Word of God this morning. Thank you for that bread of life And I pray that you would make it profitable to us, that it might change us and grow us from one degree of glory to next. And it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen. There are four people in the world, four groups of people in the world that I wish would get it. I'm just going to list them out for you. You could call this my airing of grievances. But the first are um, drivers, just drivers in general, other people driving on the road when I'm on the road. Maybe they're bad when I'm not on the road as well. Um, And the particular thing that I would like for drivers to get is to communicate. Now, I don't know about you, but communicating and driving is pretty hard to do. But uh, some genius a long time ago decided to put turn signals on a car. Have you heard of those before? Um, It was really a brilliant idea because you can actually communicate with those. You can tell people when you're going to go left or when you're going to go right. Um, But for some reason, people just think that I'm a mind reader, which I'm not. I try. I've been trying since I could first remember. But I can't read minds. And in fact, yesterday I was turning into um, Lowe's, and there's a straight. It's kind of a, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be gracious here. It's kind of a weird thing. You, there's two lanes. One goes straight and the other one turns in. And, and there, was, uh, there were people in front of me. I'm not going to mention uh, who they were or their, their age or gender or anything like that. It was just people. And uh, as I was going right, they decided they wanted to turn right. But they gave me no indication. They did not get it. They did not get that there's other people around them, and so they didn't use their signal, and almost ran right into me. Um, and, and then, of course, they gave me some rude gestures, and, and I, I just thought to myself, they still don't get it, you know? Um, so that's, that's group number one. Group number two are politicians. Politicians don't get it, according to me. I don't know about you, but they don't get it. And, and the more I read and listen to the news, the more frustrated I become. They do not understand. They're out of touch with reality. They do not get... Uh, what is needed to help anybody, right? Now, you may disagree with me on that, and we can talk about it later, but I just have this general sense that they don't get it. The the third group is going to kind of pull it in more personal, my kids. A lot of times, my kids don't get it. Um, How many times a day uh, are they going to leave something out that they use uh, in order that I might discover it and have to pick it up? Even though I've given them 15, 13, 11... Nine, that's almost 40 years combined graciousness and reminder (laughs) towards them, and they still don't get it. The fourth one is, of course, my wife. I'm married, I have four kids, um, and sometimes she doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. You know, I wish that uh, she got that I'm tired and weary from the, the things that I do, also my efforts in life, my work. Um... You know, uh, also just the challenges that I face in my extended family or or whatever it is. I wish that she could get that and and always know when I need just the right word. I wish she would get that, right? And also that she would notice the things that I do um, around the house, you know, and she could comment about that or say something. I wish that she would get that. So those are are four groups. I'm sure I could keep going. Um, I'm sure there's more people that I could bring into that, but um, there's just, there's just this general sense of people don't get it. Now, how about you? Could you join in the, the, the diatribe with me? Could you, do, there, do you have a list of people who just don't get it? Maybe it's a coworker. worker um, Maybe it's uh, a family member. They just don't get it. And they keep doing the things over and over again. Well, I... I want to tell you this morning, I've got really bad news, and that is is that, you know what, all the people that I talked about and all the people that you can think of right now, they are never going to completely and fully get it. There's always going to be bad drivers. There's always going to be um, politicians that don't get it. There's always going to be children, my children, who are not going to be perfect, as much as I want them to be, as much as I wish I could make them, or even my wife. And I want to say the same for you. Nobody gets it but one. And I want you to see him this morning in all of his glory as he deals with someone who is a most unlikely um, hero in this story, a Samaritan woman. So I want to show you three things this morning. I want to show you, first of all, that Jesus gets our alienation. Look again at the passage, John 4. Uh, Look at verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that is significant. Most of you may know the, the, the history and the s- social structures of that time, but just if you don't, um, Samaria uh, was a part of Israel, but during the, exporta- the deportations and the resettling by the conquerors in the past… Uh, Samaria became a place filled with half-breeds. I'm just going to use that. That's kind of a rude term. I'm sorry if that's offensive, but um, it's it's a, it's two races have come together. And if you don't know much about Jews, one of the things that uh, was given to them in the Old Covenant was to, to be a people um, who abstained from marrying with other nations. And the big reason behind that was not that God was racist and only loved Jews, but because he knew the influence of idolatry. And so uh, before you would marry someone else, they needed to become an Israelite. You didn't just marry indiscriminately because their gods would then be brought into your heart and you would be corrupted. Well, Samaria was a picture of that. They, They had been resettled with people from all over the known world, and they were mixed races, and there was a lot of idolatry in Samaria and, and differences between religion, between Jews and Samaritans. And so already there's an alienation that was brought when, when this story begins. And isn't it interesting that Jesus, and this is what the text says, had to go to Samaria? Right there begins the very good news of this story. Jesus went to a place where all the rest of the Jews would not go. In fact, they were so adamant about it that they would go from Jericho, if you think about it, Jericho to Jerusalem is like right here. But in order to get there, they would go all the way around Samaria and then walk all the way up, way out of the way, just so they could be clean and show up and say, I I was clean, I didn't touch any Samaritans, I didn't talk to any Samaritans, no Samaritan dirt is on my sandal, right? That was the way they thought about it. And yet Jesus says he has to go through. Why? Well, look, he shows up at Jacob's well, verse 5. He goes there, he's weary, his disciples go with him. You know, they're probably thinking, what on earth is Jesus going to do now? Um, What is he going to get us into? And they decide to go into town, and Jesus goes to a well. Now, again, for those of you not familiar with the Old Testament, something very special happens at wells, okay? In the Old Testament, wells Uh, wells, that is a a water well, is often a place where a groom, a a man, finds his bride. And you can see that time and time again, that when uh, it's time to go find a bride, uh, the men would go to the well and there they often found their wife. Well, it's interesting that Jesus has gone to a well and here he meets a woman. Look at her. She's coming to draw water and she's all alone. It's the middle of the day. Now, again, you may not know much about ancient Near East social life, but that was not the time to go draw water, was it? When you wanted to draw water, you would go early in the morning, and you definitely would not go by yourself. You would go with a whole bunch of other ladies, or your servants, or whatever it was. And guess what? That was a great time to gossip, to catch up on the village news, um, to see who was having a baby, to see, you know, it was the social time. But this woman shows up at noon, all alone, very hot, very tired, and Jesus is waiting for her. So I want you to notice first just this alienation of humanity shown in this woman from humanity. Okay, This alienation exists person to person. She is isolated and all alone. Now we need to know why. So Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, of course, this is, again, breaking, down all, breaking all sorts of barriers. Jesus should not have asked her for a drink. Jesus should not have spoken to her, not only because she was a Samaritan, he was Jew, but because he was a man and she was a woman. It's kind of hard for us to believe nowadays, isn't it? Or Maybe not so much, (laughs) depending on who you might have grown up with or where you live. But these are barriers that you just didn't cross, and yet here Jesus is doing it. And you see the woman's response belies that. She says, why are you asking me for a drink? Don't you know the rules, Jesus? Don't you know you're not supposed to communicate with me? (laughs) You're not supposed to show me attention? And yet Jesus is there seeking her at this time isolated time of day, it's very hot, and he wants her to give him something. Of course, she says, you, you know, I can do that for you, but really, um, how are you going you to, you know, why are you here? Basically what she says. So look at verse 11. Sir, you have nothing to draw, excuse me, look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and would have given you living water. In other words, Jesus says, I'm someone who you're looking for. He announces that right there. And you should be asking me for something. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? If I was the woman, I'd be like, okay, you're psycho. It's hot. You know, you've been in the sun. You probably have sunstroke. You know, and, and yet he makes this pronouncement that you should be asking me for water. Of course, she says, you, you, how are you going to get water? You're, you're not... You don't have something to draw it out with. You're not a professional well, water drawer, outer, whatever. You know, she's, she's trying to push back. But Jesus stays with her. Jesus says, and this, I really wanted to jump in. Here's the second point. Is there is an alienation that we have inside of ourselves. Look at it. Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will be, never be thirsty forever you catch that? You drink of the water that I, that I Jesus, offer, this water, we got to figure out what that is, but this water that I offer you, you will never be thirsty forever. That gets her attention, doesn't it? Not only will this water assuage the thirst, it will continually assuage the thirst. The end of verse 14. So what does the woman say? She says, sir, give me this water. So that I don't have to come here and be alienated anymore. Because this is, brothers and sisters, this is a daily walk of shame for her. This is a daily walk of shame that she goes through. And however old, she's 35 years old. I don't know how long it's been going on, but let me tell you something. If you've had to walk in a shameful situation before, and a lot of people saw it and they knew your shame, one day is enough, is it not? Can you imagine having to go through it again again? and again, and again, and again. Every day reminded that you don't belong, that you're an outcast, and that you're unloved. And here's this man (laughs) who shows up on a particular day, starts asking questions and offers her something. So she says, sure, give me the water. Now things change. All right? Now this could be hard to interpret. Um, Jesus, in verse 16, look at it. He says, Jesus... Said to her, Go call your husband and come here. Now, right here, if you, uh, if you knew men who uh, maybe were kind of like, you know, the only way that God communicates is through a man, you know, and women just should never talk and should only be serving in the kitchen, whatever kind of things you grew up with, you might jump on it and be like, Yeah, Jesus, you tell her, Go get your husband, right? Get your husband because I'm going to only talk to him because you don't understand stuff, right? That's not what's going on here. Um, That's not what's going on. Jesus, uh, I think it's profound and amazing that Jesus came, when he came to earth, he immediately reaffirmed that man and woman are made in the image of God. And you can't have the image of God if you don't have one or the other. Amen? Isn't it amazing that women are the ones who over and over testified to him? They're the first ones that showed up after he rose up out of the grave. Jesus Loved the other half of the image of God just as much as the other half. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. So Jesus is not being a male chauvinistic pig and telling her to go get her husband because he'll only talk to her and she, only the man can understand it, right? No. Jesus is getting at this inner alienation in her heart. Look what the woman says I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, (laughs) for you've had five husbands. Oh my gosh, Jesus, you're just going to break more barriers. Remember, you're not supposed to talk religion and like marital problems and politics, you know, and social settings. And here he is, right? He's just throwing it down. And furthermore, the one that you're with now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Now, what happens following that? She kind of Obviously perceives, and it says, you're a prophet. She sees that this man knows way more about her than he should, or that any other man knows, and it puts her off. And so she kind of throws out this philosophical, theological discussion, which is important. I'm not going to go into great detail about it. But what Jesus is doing, and if you can just hang on just for a sec, he's showing her what her living water is. Does that make sense? Another way to say it is Jesus said, I'm going to give you water. She says, Give me that water. But before he can give her that water, she needs to see what her water is. Does that make sense? She needs to see the thing that she lives for. She needs to see the thing that she desires more than anything else. And it's simply this male affection. She so much wants to be loved and accepted by a man that she has tried six times. And six times, those men have not worked. Or maybe five. She's on the sixth. But guess what? He's not going to (laughs) work. That's why Jesus has come and found her. So when she asked for that water, Jesus says, you go get your water. In other words, you go get your husband. You go get the thing that you think is going to satisfy you, going to save you, going to make you whole. Bring that. So now she sees the inner alienation that she has, that there is something awry in her, and her efforts to fix it do not work. And I hate to turn the mirror on you, but that's what God's word is, and on myself, but guess what? We're all in the same boat. You and I are all inner alienated from ourselves and from God, and as we saw earlier, from others. And I want to just stop right here, because I think it's an important point, and ask you the question. If Jesus were having this conversation with you, and he said, and you said, hey, I want that water, how would he follow it up? What would he say? For her, it was, go get your husband. What would he say to you? what would it be? If you don't know that, (laughs) if you haven't stumbled across that, then I want to encourage you to ask the Lord to show you. Because we were made for something more than whatever it is that we would bring to him. Whatever he would name, he wants us to bring it and show it to him. And at that point, we can have business. We can get the living water. So, what happens? From there, they have the conversation about worship and where the worship happens. The woman, though, says in verse 25, look at it there, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. So she has a recognition that that God is going to restore things, and he's going to do so in a man, the Messiah or the Christ, the anointed one, that he's going to come. And she knows that when he comes, he will tell us all things. And notice verse 26, Jesus says to her, and simply in the Greek, it's these words, I am. I am. And there, we, we fill it out a little more in English to kind of make it, you know, cool, because we just like to do that. I who speak to you am he. In other words, I'm the Messiah. You were right. I am the Messiah. I'm the one who's going to come and tell you everything, and I'm telling you everything right now. Did you think it would be this personal? <laughs> right? Right? She she thought, you know, it'd be, oh, build this building, sacrifice this many sheep, destroy the Romans, just like everybody else. You know, there'd be some specific instruction, but did anybody, did she ever think it would be that personal? Go get your husband. Let me show you what you worship. Let me show you what you live for because it's not working. And I love you enough to show you it's not working. So what's her response? What's the response of Jesus? Jesus. Notice who shows up, timely as always. (laughs) The disciples came back. God wanted it that way. I'm not trying to put the disciples down. They put themselves down. I don't have to put them down, right? Just like we do. We just live and we don't measure up. Um, They marveled that he was talking with a woman and no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Those were good questions. They shouldn't, those are things they should not have asked. But notice verse 28. Something has clicked for the woman. What does she do? Y'all are, y'all are a responsive group. What does she do? It's really important. She left her water jar. She left her water. Isn't that amazing? Something, she got it. She's, she's starting to pick up. This is, this is not about physical water. This is about my heart. This is about my desire to find satisfaction and wholeness in men. And you know what? like that water, this is a symbolic gesture on her part that she's going to trust Jesus and receive his water. But I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to notice something really cool, okay? Um, I don't know how Nathan talked about evangelism or Justin or your elders, um, but a lot of times when we talk about evangelism, we, we, it's, this, it's this demand, it's this uh, commandment. Go tell your neighbor, all right. How many of y'all have ever been in a service where someone says, go evangelize your neighbor, and in your heart immediately you were like, yes. Especially that one who totally is opposite of me in every way. Yes, I can't wait to go tell them about Jesus. I can't wait to interact with them. How many of y'all have had that experience? Okay, good, a few of you. Good, praise the Lord. I'm, I'm going to say that most of us, well, no, no, I don't know you. I'm going to say, me, when I hear, go evangelize your neighbor, I think, no way. I don't want to evangelize my neighbor. I'm scared to death of my neighbor. I don't know my neighbor. I can come up with a hundred different excuses about my neighbor um, and why I'm not going to go talk to him. But notice what she does. What moves her to go and evangelize? Look what she does. She went and found the people, okay, the people, again, who she was avoiding, who, who, Watched her daily on that march of shame to go get the water. She goes back to those same people and announces, Come, see a man that told me all that I ever did. <laughs> Why? What on earth? That is not how the whole thing's supposed to work, is it? You discover that you're a massive idolater and that you've filled yourself with created things that will never satisfy. You discover that, and you find something better, and all of a sudden, you're going to go and act like, hey, I got no more shame. You want to come hear about it? And I think it's kind of funny, you know, that she said, come, come, listen to a guy who told me all they ever did, and they're probably like, we all know what you've been doing. Like, that's not a surprise. (laughs) Like, you're a wreck. You're just train wrecking through men, right? But brothers and sisters, this is profound, and here's the point. Evangelism is a command, but evangelism is a command that is preceded by the unveiling of your shame and your guilt and the acknowledgement of it before God and God going, you know what? I knew that. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm breaking down these barriers. That's why I'm getting rid of alienation because I'm coming to love you and make you whole. And when that happens, you can't help but tell your crazy neighbor about Jesus, about living water. Because there's nothing left holding you back. There's no more fear. There's no more shame. And so, to the extent, here's the correlation or the, the formula. To the extent that you don't want to go and tell other people about Jesus, I want you to confront the shame that you still are holding on to about the things that you worship. Do you need to get them out? Do you need to have this conversation with Jesus again? He's good with that. He's got all the time in the world. Do you? You've got time. Put down the the Netflix. Put down the whatever it is that you're binge-watching. What are you binge-watching? You can put it down and let Jesus probe your heart. Maybe that's what your water is, binge-watching whatever, right? I don't know. But this woman got it, and it transformed her. She all of a sudden goes back into her community, no longer alienated, and opens her mouth freely that there is someone who gets it. There is someone who gets it. All right, I'm going to land the plane here Okay, she's you're getting nervous. She didn't fully get it, though. Not yet. And I like to imagine her maybe months later or maybe a few years later hearing the rest of the story. Maybe reading it after an epistle had been written, or maybe it was when uh, the disciples in the early chapters of Acts went out to start to spread the gospel. And in a lot of ways, they weren't really spreading it. They were confirming because it had already gone out. And you remember some of them went to Samaria and the gospel had already been there. Maybe she was one of the ones who heard the rest of the story. And what was that story? This Christ whom she met, who gave her water, who crossed all these barriers, who dignified her as an image bearer of the living God, talked to her like she was a normal human being, loved her well, but also spoke bruntly, honestly with her and let her know she needed more than men. (laughs) This Christ was crucified. This Christ was treated as a Roman enemy of the Roman state. And the Jews, the people whom he kind of was with, were the ones who were behind it as well. And if she got to read or hear from one of the the disciples or just anybody who knew the story, there had to be a part, I think, I want to imagine, that totally put it all together for her. It's when Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's coming to his last, bearing all the wrath of God for her shame, for her guilt, for her not pursuing God but pursuing everything else, doing the same for us, And he says three, excuse me, two simple words. I thirst. I thirst. Now Jesus obviously in his physical body was thirsty. I grant that. He's dehydrated. He's dying. But there's so much more there. He has drunk the cup of the wrath of God to its very dregs, which means that Jesus has experienced forever thirst. At that moment, he is experiencing forever thirst. Did you pick up on that, what Jesus said to the woman? You'll never be thirsty forever. The opposite of that is hell. Thirst forever. Or simply put, you desire, you desire something and you're never satisfied. Obviously, it's profound when you think about it physical thirst. I'm kind of getting that way right now, parched, you know, from talking too much. But if you go and live in the desert for any amount of time and you don't have water, you start to crave water like nothing else. And your body starts to shrivel, your lips crack, your throat sticks, everything. And you, you want. But imagine wanting and having that desire, but never, ever, ever being satisfied. That's a picture of hell. That's a picture of what hell is like. But imagine it in the the more soul things of affection and love and acceptance that you desire that, but you never have it. But even more damning is that we, in our insanity, keep trying to pursue everything but God to try to make it better, to try to satisfy. And so it makes it worse and worse and worse. And it helps those sayings of Jesus about hell make sense. It's a place where the worm never dies. There's no satisfaction. It goes on forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, the very good news is that Jesus on the cross took your forever thirst that you deserved and he drank it. He became thirsty forever in that moment so that you would never have to be thirsty forever and he could give you living water. I like to think that maybe she heard that (laughs) and it came together And she heard about the gift of the Holy Spirit and that put together for, oh, that's the thing that comes in me and wells up to life and water. And it gushes over and I want to give it to other people. I like to think that's how the story ended. And I want to thank this morning and I hope that that's how your story is going (laughs) and how it will end as well. That Jesus can come to you over and over again, maybe for the first time today or maybe for the hundredth time and say, go get, your, go get your husband. What is it? But remind you of what he gave you, what he laid down for you because you're his bride. You're his beloved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can um, commune around it. And now we can commune around your gifts of bread and wine. And I pray, Lord, as we do so, that we would remember How much we've been loved. And Lord Jesus, that you gave everything. You laid it down, your life for ours, so that we might be with you forever and have living water welling up in us. So help us to believe that this morning, to live out of it this afternoon and Monday, um, and to stop expecting people to get it and instead look to the one who does and find rest for our weary souls. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.